This is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is your home for survivors like myself and those who are searching to find meaning to their why. In season two, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed immediately by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the business, marketing, coaching, and financial worlds. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed or has been edited. As a board-certified wellness coach, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it and subscribe. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Diagnosed with cancer at the tender age of three, co-founder and CEO Nick Lynch knows the true meaning of pushing forward despite outward circumstances. In his adult life, however, self-care often takes a back seat. He discovers that in order to leave a legacy worth remembering, it always starts from within. Hi, Nick. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. So what would you like coaching on? Yeah, so I mean, for me, it's really all about trying to figure out how I can do better self-care as an entrepreneur. Obviously, you know, as you start to build a business, you're so focused on building and growing and all of the multitasks associated with being an entrepreneur that uh, self-care tends to get pushed down, down, down in terms of priority. Um, And so for me, I think maybe many entrepreneurs, you know, trying to figure out better ways to uh, allocate time for self-care and prioritize self-care and really think through what that means as an entrepreneur and as a person. Great. So what I'm hearing is you want to sort of carve out more time for self-care being the fact that you are running a business. Is that correct? Yep. 100%. So what would be a fantastic outcome for today? Uh, I mean, feeling like there is some type of plan or strategy really around, uh, how I either, you know, from as simple as just shifting mindset to actually having some type of concrete steps that I can take. Um, to really, you know, implement to, to, you know, change the actual behavior of, <laughs> of, of me being a, a crazy entrepreneur. Okay, great. So some plan or strategy that makes sense for you, for the way you live your life. Yeah, 100%. Great. So have you, when you think of self-care, what, what comes to mind? Oof. I mean, there's a bunch of different stuff. I mean, I think generally it can be anywhere from just finding uh, a moment to detox as simple as that or uh, uh, finding time to read a book or listen to it on on audible finding time to exercise but essentially like allocating time um, to improve yourself mentally physically spiritually whatever the case may be I think generally that's kind of my framework of it do you know anyone in your life that carves out that time for all those things you mentioned <laughs> No, unfortunately, I don't think I do. Uh, you know, my 
my wife is is amazing and, and she takes pretty much takes care of my son and probably needs the same type of coaching as well um all of a lot of my, most of my other friends are also entrepreneurs and they don't necessarily do a great job of self-care either um but i think that's that might be part of the problem is i don't have a lot of people i think in my life that i could either lean on for uh, guidance or even collaboratively do something together um, to, to improve both of our self-care. How do you think your life would change if you did carve out time for self-care? Oh man, I mean, I think that, I mean, a couple of things. One, I think just from an energy perspective, I think that um, just overall energy would just probably be higher and have more of it. Um, I think that, you know, when you're, I found in the past that when I am able to uh, take time to myself and sort of recharge my batteries, everything else improves. So sort of the, the old cliche is rising tides lifts all boats. I mean, I think the, the rising tide in this, in this instance or this metaphor really could be self care. So, I mean, I think that whenever you're able to allocate time to recharge, I think it just improves everything else in your life. So when you implemented some recharge, what were some strategies that you did? I mean, it's been a while. I think that, um, you know, life kind of happens, you get married, you have kids and you do work and all those other things and they start to pile up and it's hard to sort of chip away at it. And I feel like sometimes you do maybe chip away at it once and then you, you stack two more things on. But I think that in, in sort of in reflection and thinking back to when I could do those types of things, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's either, you know, de de specifically dedicating either a day or a time of day um, to do that. Right. And, and, and by dedicating it, it's not as just like thinking, okay, well, every Saturday I might do this, but like really, uh, I, I live and dive on my calendar now. So like putting in that time in your calendar and, and making sure that you have a buffer before and after, and you're not feeling rushed and you really actually are doing some of those maybe smaller mental or, or actual steps to, to allocate that time. And if you did that, did you think, is there a FOMO attached to that? If you carved out that time? Um, that's interesting. I, uh, I've never been a FOMO type of person. Um, you know, I, I'm a, most people wouldn't believe this, but I'm a pretty hardcore introvert. So I'm kind of happy by myself and kind of figured out sort of my own lane. But I, I do, I do find myself having some type of FOMO if I'm not being productive at work, I feel like something, I'm not doing something right. Like I could be doing more, like literally, like if I just spent 20 minutes to do nothing, just sat on my couch and just thought nothing. I think that I would feel like I could have been more productive in other ways. Would you like to explore this productive in other ways more deeply? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, from, you know, and, and anybody who knows me, my family, my friends, my, I mean, everybody will, will tell you that like, I'm, I'm always on like something, something's always going. And, um, I think for me that, that if I'm not, if I'm not pushing things forward, if I'm not taking initiative or being proactive on the things that I want to achieve, that that's not, I, I think that it's almost like a ding on myself. Like why, how, why are you, how could you be sitting here when there are so many things you could be doing or you could be pushing forward? Like how, how could you be doing this? Like there are so many other things you should be doing right now. Um, and I think that that for me has always been, the impetus of why I think I work so hard, um, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I always sort of, sort of jokingly brag that like, nobody's going to outwork me. Cause I kind of feel like I, I, I can't sit still. Um, and that I always got to push, keep pushing things forward. And so I think for me, 
a lot of it has to do if I, if I am going to take 10 or 15 minutes out of my day, it's like I, I could have been doing something else or I could have been pushing things forward. Would you like to try a little experiment with me? Of course. All right. So I just want you to get comfortable in your seat. If you feel inclined, you can close your eyes or soften your gaze. So take a couple of breaths in and out for me. Just going to do a quick body scan. Just want to breathe into the different body parts that I mentioned. The top of the head, the forehead, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, the lips, the neck, shoulders, upper body, the arms, the hands, your torso, your lower body, your legs, and your feet. Just take a couple more breaths in and out. And when you think of sort of your mind racing, as you mentioned, is there anything else happening in your body right now? Actually, nothing right now. This is good. If you were to move that feeling or that sensation from your head lower into your body, is there any area of the body that's calling or saying something? Oh, my gut. Yeah, what's your gut saying? Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it seems like there's a little bit of anxiety there. Can you describe it? That anxiety? Yeah, it's almost like a. Uh, and I'm not necessarily an anxious person, but I, it kind of feels like uh, I was like pins and needles a little bit, like a little, not necessarily upset, but just sort of off. You know, like almost like a. Uh, I think the other way I can explain it is if uh, you're maybe afraid of heights and you're, you're standing on a, uh, I don't know, uh, a tall building and you're overlooking the, <laughs> you know, the window and your stomach kind of gets that like drop sensation a little bit. Hmm. What, do you, what do you think the purpose of that feeling is? Whew. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, I usually when I get that feeling when I'm high, it's uh, almost kind of like pull back, <laughs> you know, when you're you're looking outside of a, you know, 60-story window and you get that feeling, it's like kind of pull back, stop that. Uh, it's kind of interesting that this that same feeling's kind of happening while I'm trying to <laughs> while I'm trying to relax. Can you connect to it deeper and see what comes up? Mm. Does it have anything to say to you? I mean, it almost kind of feels like it's kind of trying to lurch my body back into like moving forward, which is interesting. Any idea what the moving forward is about? I mean, I think it kind of goes back to like, okay, you, you've rested long enough. Like it's time, <laughs> you know, like, what are we doing? Like, let's, let's try to keep it going. And if you, uh, heeded its advice to keep going, what do you think would happen? 
I probably it would probably go away and I would just keep moving. <laughs> and if you didn't do that, it, it would stick, um, and it may may get bigger. Um, which is you know again part of the reason why I think it's so hard for me to sit still is probably not the right way to frame it, but it's so hard for me to like not do anything. If it got bigger and let's say doubled in size, what is it now? I mean, and it's just, it's almost like it's, uh, you know, kind of takes over, you know, more parts of my body and just kind of needs, needs, is trying to force it to move, you know, trying to like shake it out of like the, almost like shake out of the complacency almost like make it like really like you got to get, you got to get going. You got to get going. Where does it want you to go? <laughs> back to work, go back to the to-do list, knock the, knock the tasks out. Like, and if you were a good little soldier and follow that, what's what's the end result uh i guess accomplished tasks but then more tasks <laughs> mm. more work perpetual so if you was to resource your inner wisdom what how how would you how would you reframe this or think about it differently hmm. um i think I mean, I think that's the biggest challenge I have right now is that, you know, I think for me, it's, it's hard to reframe, uh, reframe that. I think, you know, I, I look at this a lot. I mean, we, you and I have talked, uh, now a couple of times about my history with cancer and, and, um, you know, uh, how, I mean, I think my perspective of the world is, it, I mean, subtly or unsubtly has changed obviously because that, especially because I was a kid in some, some unconscious ways, I think that. I always feel like my, my time might be limited or my time's kind of running out. And so, um, right or wrong. <laughs> uh, and so I think for me, a lot of, a lot of that mindset is applied to, to the challenges of me sitting still. Like, you know, I, I always feel like I, I beat cancer for a reason and I'm here for a reason. And so I really can't rest on my laurels or whatever that reason is. Uh, and that I got I got it. I just got to keep pushing forward, which is obviously like if you take a step back is really counterintuitive to how we understand about the whole body and health because the body needs it. Um, but I think that that's a lot of how my mindset is, is wired um, to keep moving forward. Cause I just, for me, I feel like I already big, big hurdle that I already crossed for a reason. And now I gotta, I gotta just keep pushing forward. Is this pushing forward realistically sustainable? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not what do you think you would have to give up um i mean i think that that i probably have to give up some type of concept of what i think i don't think maybe not success isn't the right word but give up the concept of like achievement um in, in certain, in certain or all areas, um, of what I'm trying to accomplish. I mean, I think that, 
think that my my expectations of myself and my goals and what I want to achieve are always so high, um, and I'm always so hard on myself. I think that that also fuels sort of the perpetual cycle that I'm probably in, and so that uh, in order for that in order for the cycle to change, the mentality or my my perception or view of how or what I would want to achieve would probably have to change. So that would be a step. What would be a step in the right direction for that? I mean, I probably have to really think and articulate like what it is that I'm actually, I always, I think I can, it's sort of nebulous. I think conceptually, I know like I want to achieve these big things, but I think that I probably have to really sit down and like artic- articulate specificity of what those things are. So I can really, I think, more confine or more grapple with, okay, well, this isn't some big, like you're not trying to, to spin the world the other way, right? Like you're actually trying to do something that's pretty tangible and that you actually can take breaks and other types of things because that specific goal or those specific achievements don't require you 24 seven. So if you were to reverse engineer that vision that you, you know, this this more calm Nick, <laughs> let's say, <laughs> so to speak, what would have to happen? What are the steps before that that actual goal? I mean, I yeah, I mean, I think that I really would have to sit down and really like put pen to paper and like think about. I think on both sides, like what what does self care actually mean to me, and what are the things that I actually want to accomplish, and then how what is that sort of time commitment and then what are the things I actually want to achieve and what is the actual time commitment for those and how can we sort of blend those two together and be a little bit more cohesive because I think that everything being so conceptual and so nebulous makes both impossible to really accomplish but I think if you can start uh you know naming the demons and being specific about you know who who those people or what those things are then I think it becomes much more <clears throat> tangible or, or much more clear about what the steps are required to, to achieve those things. So let's, let's delve in. So what self-care to you, you mentioned previously sort of this aspect of taking time out for yourself. What, what else is self-care to you? Uh, I mean, I, you know, time, probably time with my family and time, um, you know, to experience things. I mean, I, you know, I used to love, I love traveling. I love, you know, eating <laughs> and, and, and I love, you know, experiencing new cultures and those types of things. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, taking time to not only just to like pause and step away, but also doing things that I enjoy. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gamer at heart. It's been a while, but I, you know, I love gaming and, and, and those types of things. So, I mean, I think like really finding time, to do those types. It doesn't necessarily need to be with myself, but doing, you know, finding the time and doing the things that I enjoy or that make me happy. And how would that look from, from a social supports perspective? You said that a lot of your current connections don't, they don't really align with that. How, how could you kind of resource that better? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, part of what I could probably, I mean, we don't talk about this kind of stuff. So probably the first thing is like, ask, like, you know, because I'm sure they're <laughs> they're they're probably trying to figure out similar things, and if there are opportunities for us to do, you know, those types of things together, well, then that sort of accomplishes a lot of things at once. 
So, I mean, probably just having the conversation is probably the first step in, in all of this. I mean, especially, you know, dudes don't really have these kinds of conversations, or they should, and it's becoming more normalized, which is important and I think very good. But I'm, you know, I'm a 80s, 90s baby. So, like, talking about what I want and my feelings is so foreign that uh, I probably should figure out more ways to, to access that, especially with my friends. And what do you suppose some obstacles might be? Yeah, I mean, I think just gener- generational obstacles for sure. I mean, you know, my wife will tell you that I, I'm terrible at asking for anything. Uh, I never ask for anything. So I think that I think just uh, whether it's culturally or generationally, whatever the case may be, but I just have kind of been wired to uh, not ask for anything, not have those conversations, not um you know seek out those types of opportunities because i'm gonna again part of it also being an introvert that um it's tough to get out of your head sometimes and so how would you remain accountable for doing all this uh i mean i'm I'm pretty you know goal oriented so like if uh you know being able to really clearly articulate what i need to do and and how i want to achieve it and actually setting real goals behind it i mean i think that would be a big part of it. Um, you know, but also, I, I mean, my wife, I could lean on my wife and I think she could definitely hold me accountable for <laughs> making sure that I um, am doing self care. Cause I, I mean, I think she's a believer, uh, that, that if I, if, if I'm doing well, then our family is doing well, which is, you know, benefits everybody. Right. So can I offer a couple of resources to you? Please. Yes. Yeah, so we did this sort of breathing into different body parts, right? Body scan, as they call it. How would that work with with your schedule? Could, could that be something you can imp- implement? Oh yeah, I love it. I think I should do it all the time. And what do you? What did you get out of that experience? I think uh, my head just cleared for a little bit. So I think that you know, being able to, I mean, that's that's the whole goal of meditation, right? Is that like kind of shooing away the the thoughts in your mind and kind of making it try to be as still as possible so uh, you know adding meditation for sure is something that i should be doing significantly more of have you ever like what do you know about meditation a little bit i mean i've done it a handful of times sort of sporadically never proactively always one one of the things that i've wanted to, to do more more um and and more um more regularly uh so i mean i think it's Every time I do it, I'm like, this is fantastic. I need to do more of it. But I, it's, you know, it's not in my calendar, which is, again, part of probably part of the problem. So, you know, adding it, I think just as simple as putting a, literally an invite in my calendar that says from whatever, 6.30 to 7 or 7 to 7.30 or 5 to 5.30, whatever it is in the morning or in the evening, or really I probably whenever um, is good. <laughs> um, but allocating some time to doing that. I mean, for people who start out, I mean, what's, what is it suggested? I mean, is it as long as you can do it? Is it five minutes? Is it 30 minutes? The research suggests about five to six minutes to start. Okay. That is the, that is, that is the optimal time. Um, yeah. So what about, um, do you do, do you do anything for yourself in terms of a physical perspective for self-care? No, so not now. Um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, something that I did every single day that I thoroughly enjoyed was I took um, at least an hour in the afternoon and walked 
uh, around my neighborhood for about, you know, I think it was probably like four miles um, where I would do it for about an hour and I would either take my phone calls for that hour or I would listen to an audible uh, book. Um, and I did that literally every day, I think for like the first six or seven months of, of the pandemic. And then everybody wanted to be back on Zoom, which killed that, unfortunately. Um, but it's something that I really would like to, to continue to, um, to integrate into, into what I'm doing and, and try to bring that back for sure. I found it very curious in the beginning when we were sort of exploring the body. You mentioned sort of this feeling in your gut. When you think of the word stillness, what what comes up comes up for you? I mean, every time I've ever done a, a meditative experience and stillness, they they sort of talk about stillness. The the the, the vision I literally see in my head is like a like a, a body of water, like a lake. Or like something that literally like there's no it's just smooth like there's not like the, there's no wind there's nothing there's no waves it's just like it almost looks like ice it's so smooth um, like I always that's like the almost like the visualization that I've always thought of uh, when in in the previous sort of meditation that I that I've participated in they talk about stillness that's like the first thing that always pops in my head and I I still believe that that's like if I were to visualize it like or take a picture of it like that would be what stillness is to me. And is stillness a place, that visualization, a place you would like to visit, inhabit, or live in? Um, I, I mean, it's an interesting question because I think that in my current mindset, I couldn't live in stillness. Um, but, it's, but it's for sure a place that I would like to visit constantly. <laughs> Um, again, just as a, you know, as an introvert, like re the whole, the whole concept of like, you know, you sort of recharge your internal battery in st almost in stillness, like by yourself, that type of thing, like having, you know, having a vacation home on that lake, which is still, and being able to access it at any time to me seems like today, the most ideal thing. So Nick, you spoke about your cancer experience and you know, survivorship. I'm sort of wondering, have you processed that experience as an adult fully? I mean, I think I probably only scratched the surface if I'm going to be honest. I mean, the, um, in, in, in the article that we did together, I'd kind of talk about it, but the, I don't think I really ever started even remotely processing it until I, I was, I was interested in kind of writing whatever about whether it was a book or an essay or just an art, whatever, something to write down about <clears throat> my perspective, perception or perspective on survivorship and cancer just generally given that I think that we've come so far and I think that there's, you know, obviously a scary and a negative connotation around cancer, but survivorship is real. Like people survive. And I think that it's more important to focus on that fact than the, the, the scary C word. And so in doing, in doing research for that, process I, I never really took an opportunity to like really understand what actually happened when I was a kid and so I ordered all of my medical records and it wasn't really until I started reading the detailed notes about my behavior and how I felt and what I said that I really I mean I had a, a physical and emotional reaction to to it um, and I think that that's probably the only time in my life, which was only a few months as I read through all of them, where I've actually remotely started processing any of that. 
So, I mean, literally probably just the surface. When you think back at that time, sort of this idea of stillness, what was happening? I mean, at, at that time, like there, I, and I remember really <laughs> pretty vividly, there were, I think, things that I had uh, or that I did that completely detached from all of the, the scary stuff. So like having to get my blood drawn or like the tubes in my nose or, you know, uh, getting hooked up to an IV before I had to go through a, a cat, you know, a cat scan, right? Like all of those types of things. I think, I, I think back that those are traumatic as heck and that at a, as a three year old, um, but that when I got to like lay in my bed, I had never had like a, wasn't like a blankie, but it was like this like soft, like sheepskin and to like just watch cartoons. And then I, I, so I was in, I, my treatment was at Oakland children's hospital and I had a window that overlooked the BART. And so the Bay area, they have like mass transit and they have like what's called BART. And I remember I could see it pass by like every 10 or 15 minutes. And so for me, I, I always felt like the coolest time. And I, it's funny cause I can remember this so vividly, the, 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 the times that I remember being like at peace or just like kind of relaxed was in the bed in the hospital watching cartoons with the blanket and seeing Bart pass by like every couple, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Like that to me would probably be like stillness in that environment if you can have it, but like that environment or that scenario. Does that little boy have a message for you now as an adult? Yeah, like watch cartoons and look outside the window and watch Bart, dude. Like it's not, it doesn't have to be that serious, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, you know, I, you're, you're not, you no longer have to be connected to these IVs or nose, you know, tubes in your nose or, you know, um, you know, chemotherapy and all the other things. Like, your life is so different and significantly better than it you know, in the precarious position that it was then. So like, you should probably be enjoying cartoons and, um, you know, watching, watching outside the window a little bit more. So I'm going to ask you a big question. What do you want Nick Lynch's legacy to be? Legacy. I, 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 um, I mean, I mean, for me, I think, I mean, that, that word's a big word and I, and I never really thought about it until I had a son. Um, and I, I mean, I think it's so, it's, I mean, when you ask that, like, I didn't even think about it. My, like my thought process is so disjointed because obviously like I work really hard and I want to build something that will endure or that will, you know, be a positive impact in what we're doing in Kaleidoscope. But I think, when I think about like true legacy, it's about like how, how well have I been, uh, how good of a dad can I, have I been, or could I be, um, to my son so that he in turn can be a positive addition and impact in the world. Um, I think that's when I think of legacy, that's, that's kind of what it means to me. Nothing like professionally, this is crazy. Not thinking about it. Nothing professionally at all, actually. Like, that's gonna, you know, that's it is what it is. Um, I want to achieve things, and it'll people people may or may not remember the things I did from a business standpoint. But I think for me, legacy for me is making sure that I've done a good job of being a good person and a good dad, so that my son can see that as an example and be a good person and a good dad and build positive cycles, sort of moving forward. 
and a way to do that is through self-care <laughs> yeah 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 i can't i can't be a good dad if i'm not taking care of myself well on that note i think this is probably a good point to transition into the interview portion are you are you good is yeah you content? No. Yeah, yeah for sure this is yeah. this is great yeah, how, yeah. how did that all land for you right now like how is that stomach area that you mentioned earlier uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's still there, but it, it's, it's not, it's, it feels, I'm perceiving it different. And I, I'm starting to look at and questioning things differently now that I'm starting to think through all of the things that you just asked. Like my mind's kind of, my mind's racing for sure, but not in a way that it's like, I got to do things. I got to do things, but more of like, I have to, you, you, I actually now have a little bit better perspective, um, and actual w- ways that I can think through these things and, and move forward and, and, reprioritize things that are important um, for for myself. So thank you. That was great. Sure. So tell my audience more about Nick Lynch, what you do, who you serve, your mission in life. (laughs) All right. Well, I mean, I hope I can serve as as many people as possible, but, um, you know, I kind of mentioned throughout this, but, you know, I'm a -A make-a-wish kid. I'm a cancer survivor. um, And, you know, I've been passionate about, uh, many nonprofit causes my whole entire life. Uh, from a professional standpoint, um, you know, well, actually, personally, I'm from the Bay Area. I grew up there, uh, and I lived lived there pretty much my whole entire life. And I moved down to LA about 15 years ago, and I've been, you know, focused primarily in in the digital marketing, advertising, technology space, where I've helped brands and advertisers better find and target their audiences on on digital and social media. I mean, to date myself a little bit, you can kind of see the gray hairs a little bit. Um, but I'm an early MySpace guy. Um, so I've been, been around the block in a long time when Tom had a top eight, right? Wow. Um, but, you know, really over the last two years, um, I've sort of have been building a company called Kaleidoscope. And the impetus of all of that was at the very beginning of COVID uh, when I saw that things were going to shut down and the world was going to change. Um, from a nonprofit perspective, um, I saw that there, the nonprofits were going to be extremely challenged for two particular reasons. One is that um, most of their revenue is derived from in-person events. So if in-person events go away, most of the nonprofit revenue is going to go away, which is a scary concept to think of as a nonprofit. And then also the fact that everything is moving more digitally. Nonprofits will tell you they're 10, 15, 20 years behind when it comes to anything, digital marketing, digital media, anything. And so there was a huge, tremendous, those two hurdles were going to be not only a short-term pain, potentially a long-term pain as we kind of get past COVID. And then because of my experience on the advertising and brand side, I also have seen a huge shift towards cause marketing and social impact where brands really want to be more aligned and closely aligned with nonprofits and their causes and their missions. Um, But there's a huge sort of translation gap where Again, nonprofits are amazing at delivering on the mission, but they're not really great at delivering a report back to a brand that says, hey, you know, you achieved this type of marketing outcome, which then, you know, um, created this type of mission outcome. And we should do more because X, Y, and Z, like, that's just not there. But if it was, those collaborations could happen and those actual collaborations could scale both from a monetary perspective, but also from an outcome perspective. And so that's really what the genesis of Kaleidoscope was, is kind of leveraging my personal and my professional background together um, and, and really building a solution that helps brands and, and nonprofits, you know, closely work together and, and, you know, measure the efficacy of their campaigns and create and discover more opportunities around working together. And so we've been doing that for, you know, really since the beginning of COVID, almost two years now, which is wild. Uh, you know, we've helped raise over a million dollars for, you know, wow. 
do a little over two dozen uh, global nonprofits, and we're now kind of looking at 2022 as a, an awesome sort of breakout year for us, and and working with you know world class brands and, and nonprofits to really continue to scale those efforts and, and really bring you know like minded people with money and mission together um, to scale that what we believe is the future of of you know nonprofit you know mission driven cause driven social impact marketing. So in your work, what are some pain points that you've sort of encountered? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're kind of playing in, in new territory, right? Where, you know, the on the on the brand side, um, you know, the idea of doing good or, or corporate sort of responsibility is not necessarily a new thing. Um, you know, corporate social responsibility has been around for decades, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, but it's been primarily a human resources exercise, a um, exercise to attain, you know acquire and retain talent and and, and employees, which is a, obviously a fantastic thing, and, and and brands will continue to do so. But over the last several years, brands have seen that if they're also using using corporate social responsibility in marketing, that it actually also drives top and bottom line, which is good for for you know their employees and for the business. And so the challenge has been is what does that mean? from a corporate standpoint, how do you transition what, what is, has been a legacy HR function to marketing and, and how can they work together? And, you know, so really, you know, the big pain point on the brand side is, is really, it's an, it's another transition amongst many transitions that are happening over, you know, in, in large businesses and in small businesses, you know, the digital transformation, this now uh, hybrid work transformation. And so I'd say it's just another one of those, um, challenges that that organizations are, are looking at and so you know one of the pain points is trying to figure out how can we be supportive and, and you know oh, find those opportunities and then support um and, and encourage those and, and help them scale and then obviously on the nonprofit side you know big pain point for us is sort of like the education process you know we have amazing nonprofits i would probably say like 95 99 of nonprofits you know they're they're just they're delivering the mission and they've been doing the same things for 20, 30 years, sometimes longer. And so, you know, whether it's legacy think or whether it's sort of fear of the, this digital world or, you know, all of the concerns around data, which are all, all of these things are all super valid. But, you know, one of the biggest pain points for us on that side is like, you know, building trust, creating education and, and being supportive in that process. And so, you know, our business is trying to bridge those two guys together. And so, making sure that each one of them is in a place where they can work together is, is, is a super important for us. So what are some of the longer term goals for Kaleidoscope? Yeah, I mean, our, our goal is to sort of be like the centralized place for measuring good, right? We always talk yeah. about like, you know, our, our, our mission is, you know, to for, you know, to support nonprofits and brands and social media influencers to, um, you know, give back to the world, you know, thrive, uh, and through social good. And so if we're at the center of measuring when essentially karma happens, right, because these things are, are good, that we can then provide much more insight and analytics around how more good can happen. So for example, if Nike is doing a campaign about removing some of the plastic from the ocean and they're using that plastic to create shoes, it's, it's a fantastic sustainability exercise and it's absolutely improving the world um, and their corporate process. But are they marketing that message in a way that is creating additional movement to their consumers? Are consumers actually more interested in what that cause is and are those consumers actually being more involved 
in nonprofits that deal with that cause and can we measure that? And if not, Nike is great at messaging that and creating action, well then they are, their, their karma score should be high, right? As opposed to maybe if they weren't able to achieve enough a reach or awareness or an action, um, then maybe their score is low. And so we can help provide scoring or benchmarks to that and then also provide insight into how they can improve over time. Because our philosophy is that corporate action is, is, is an important part of the equation, but if corporations are also fantastic at messaging that change and creating change to their consumers, then it just exponentially grows. And so if we can provide insight into that and be like the central place that can provide insight to karma, then and then we can improve business process marketing, uh, collaborations and the whole the whole uh, ecosystem of how we believe things can scale together. So what tips would you sort of give for you know social good, um, you know, charities, you know, to embrace, you know, digital marketing or just embrace more leverage in this area? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, on the, on, especially on the nonprofit side, it's all about community and, and social media has provided and, and all of its scary and, and arguably terrible things that have come from social media. The, the upside and I think the positive aspect of it is that it is very easy to find community where before it was maybe hard physically before social media to find somebody had, who had a shared experience or even let alone find a group of people who have had shared experiences. Social media has enabled good or bad has enabled the ability to seamlessly find a community of people who share experiences or views or opinions. And so on the nonprofit side, it allows you to almost frictionlessly find community that can support what you are trying to do and who you are. And so I think for me, understanding that community is there, understanding how to, to, to create it and understanding how to activate it those are the keys to winning in, in, in as a nonprofit. And so there's kind of the same tried and true things that people used to do from a physical standpoint to build community. You can kind of apply that to social media and, you know, you know, build Facebook groups and, and, and follow people that, um, you know, that are, that are like, have like-minded opinions and have those conversations like in, in real time on social media. And so I think those are the types of things that, that almost every non that not almost every single nonprofit should be thinking about is building building and cultivating community on social media. It's not necessarily about building an email list and then it turns into donors that then drives donations. All that's a function, and I think it's important. But if you're able to um, productively and um, you know you know really reach out and create community in an authentic way, that will go much farther than creating some type of exercise where people will submit their email so they can hit up by a donation, you know, email later, I think on the nonprofit side. And on the brand side, I think it's really about figuring out how do you scale these types of, uh, of partnerships? Um, I don't think, and, and they're looking at it, you know, in, in multiple ways, which is fantastic, but the days of like writing a check and getting your logo on a, on a website or a flyer or at an event banner, they're, they're over. Um, and, and, and so we, we really need to figure out how do we use, you know, brands and their platform and their messaging and their community. I mean, think about Apple and its community. I mean, they could drop anything. They just, they sell a $19 polish cloth and it's selling millions, right? They could probably sell, you know, uh, you know, uh, succulent plants that were designed by Apple and you, know, you would, they would buy, right? So like brands can really think about how can they leverage their community 
to to activate real change and partner with real change makers so that they can scale these partnerships and these opportunities because again essentially if they can do that not only will their business and their bottom line increase but it'll also do in a month just tons of good because they're able to activate their community so I think that's kind of my my perspective and, and tips on on where where to kind of start is just activate and scale community in your experience how, how could brands and social good companies and charities figure out that why in order to you know leverage more you know more interest yeah i mean i think on on the brand side <clears throat> it's a little easier i think that that because especially you know most brands kind of think about who they are and what their brand voice are and what their ethos is and what especially now like new brands that are being created on a daily basis uh in particular like a lot of the direct to consumer stuff i mean they they almost start from a place of i want to improve this or my impact i want our impact to be this and so i think that that those conversations are already happening which is fantastic and really kind of taking a step back and figuring out um i think richard branson says this all the time but like you know a business that is in the business of making money isn't a good business right like you really want to focus on like what is what is are you actually trying to accomplish and achieve and so really thinking through like what does that mean from a brand perspective um and then on a nonprofit perspective i mean the, you know these missions are so vital uh i mean most people don't know but you know the the nonprofit business, like the NGO nonprofit space, I mean, it's a multi-trillion dollar space. Trillions of dollars are being processed through this economy and doing amazing work around the world. I mean, I think it's something like they, they would be the, the fifth largest economy in the world um, if you were to group all of the nonprofits together. And so, you know, I think that, you know, making sure that, that the mission that you're trying to accomplish you know, aligns with your team and the people and your passion. Um, and, and you can use that to leverage, to, to build community and really figuring out how, to, how does that scale, um, whether it be in the neighborhood that you're trying to improve or whether it's the world. So our access to information is, uh, it's, there's so much out there. Um, what would you say to a, a, like a nonprofit or a social good company that sort of hears these buzzwords like blockchain and NFTs and, you know what? You know, has Kaleidoscope sort of thought about these things in order to make things more, you know, decentralized? Yeah, I one hundred percent. So, it, what I always tell anybody not 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 only nonprofits but but brands just generally is that there are so many things out there that you can do for sure, and that list will only grow over time as as it does, right? Um, but my 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 sole sort of insight to all of this is you got to start with one and be really good at one. Um, a, a lot of the time, especially smaller or growing nonprofits will say, well, I got to be on Instagram. I got to be on Facebook. Now TikTok, I got to be on TikTok. And I, I always tell them pick one, be really good at building community at one. And then you can use the learnings and the process at once you've gotten really good at it to then scale outside of those, right? So if you've gotten really good at building community on Instagram, you figured out who those people are, why they wanna be part of your community, you can then sort of shift that and build process and scale out. Same with things like NFTs and blockchain and sort of the, the, the DeFi movement. All these things are, are extremely valuable and interesting. And I think that there is 100%, I mean, there's a company called The Giving Block, which is processing millions of um, cryptocurrency donations a year, um, which is fantastic. 
And so if your organization has the resources and the time and the bandwidth to start to scale outside of their main focuses of community building, then I think it's totally appropriate to start thinking about how you can integrate it. But if you're starting to be a, a jack of all trades nonprofit, but a master of none, then I hate cliches, but I think that's a really good one to describe it. Like, mm. you know, yeah. nonprofits are already resource restraint. And if you start tacking on, you know, you're only doing Instagram at 10% capacity and you've now tacked on blockchain at 5% capacity. And, you know, you're also trying to do email, like you can, you can't be all of these places at the same time, which isn't a bad thing. It's okay to be really good at one place or one thing, build community in one area and scale it and just own it. Um, and we're actually seeing that happen a lot with some of these newer nonprofits who are just sort of launching overnight, building community on, on Instagram, for instance, or TikTok and getting hundreds of thousands or millions of followers on that one channel because they've just focused on building community in that one channel and they've become now a very successful nonprofit. And a lot of the legacy nonprofits are looking at those guys and saying, why, how, like how, how are they doing this? Why are they doing this? And a lot of it has to do with focus on one thing, build a community in one place and scaling it from there. And then you can start building ancillary opportunities on top of it. But if you're not focused on building community in one place and spreading your time and your resources across many different things, they, they all suffer. So on that note, where can my audience find out more about you and, and your company? On the yeah, so you, yeah, so we're a kaleidoscope.io. It's like collide and then scope.io. Um, and I'm Nick at kaleidoscope.io. And I hope that we can help and support anybody who's looking to do good. Wonderful. Well, Nick, I seriously thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. You were fantastic. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you. You too. I appreciate it as well. Hi there. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. They can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, daily prompts to move in the right direction, sync directly to your smartphone, and a subscription to my weekly newsletter where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.